and welcome back to episode 29 of Retro Game Audio. My name's Patrick. And I'm Steve. And what are we talking about today, Steve? Well, first of all, we're excited to be relaunching the podcast after our most recent break. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's great to be back. Um, we'll be having episodes on a somewhat monthly basis. We're going to try to do one a m- once a month, but you know we'll we'll keep pumping them out as they're ready uh, <clears throat> until we break for the summer. So this is kind of like a season three, as we're calling it. Uh, and I'll take us through the first half of 2019. So <clears throat> as for today's episode, we'll be talking about two different things. First, we'll be talking about the recently released SimCity soundtrack for the NES. And secondly, we'll be doing a recap of our experiences at MAGFest. Yeah, so for any listeners who may be unaware, uh, Steve conducted a panel on MSX computers and their audio capabilities, and you also performed a show at the Chip Space. And I also played uh, drums for the Chromalodian reunion, so yeah, there was actually quite a lot going on at MAGFest. Yeah, we'll talk about it more in the second half of the episode, but suffice to say we had a very busy but very good weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, without further ado, let's just jump right in. SimCity for the NES. So you might be wondering what's all the hubbub about SimCity. We'll do a quick recap here, but if you're interested in the history of this game at all, uh, you need to read Frank Cifaldi's article. Yes, you should head straight on over to gamehistory.org slash SimCity. Uh, the deep dive is there, and it's fantastic. So the super, super, super condensed version of this story is that this was a lost NES game. Nintendo released a Super Nintendo version for SimCity, which is well known, um, but an unreleased version for the NES was also made. That was eventually lost and fell into obscurity uh, without the public being able to get their hands on it and see it. Well, that's all changed because it's turned up. Yeah, so uh, I actually prepared a YouTube upload of the soundtrack as supplemental material for Frank's article, which has pop-up text-style commentary uh, like my Konami and Capcom videos. Yeah, it's really great. Like <laughs> I, that, th- Those kind of videos that uh, you put together, Patrick, are really informative, and they're like a great watch. So if you haven't checked out the Konami and Capcom videos, check those out, and also check out the SimCity video. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So, obviously, we were in a privileged position to share this music from the game and your commentary and analysis of it, uh, Patrick. Yeah, so much of what we're going to be talking about in this episode is stuff you've already seen mentioned uh, if you've watched the video. Uh, But since we have the time to actually talk about it and do more things like isolate sound channels and whatnot, uh, this will provide a much deeper dive into the soundtrack. Yes, so a little bit more history to provide context. And again, you'll get all of this and a lot more from the GameHistory.org article. But the NES version of SimCity was originally announced alongside the SNES version, and the demo of game did make a brief public appearance at the 1991 Winter Consumer Electronics Show. Video was taken at this event for a TV show called Video Power, and as the article puts it, that was the only known footage of this game to exist for 26 years. Jeez. SimCity. You've probably heard of this game. It was very popular on the PC. So what did Nintendo do? They grabbed it and made it one of their own. You know, I'm going to check it out right now. In this game, you design, build, and maintain your own dream city. You're sort of a combination between the mayor and the king. You make all the decisions. You build the highways, factories, and homes. Figure out the zoning and set and collect the taxes from your citizens. As your city gets bigger, so do its problems. You have to figure out how to deal with the gridlock traffic and battle pollution, litter, and crime. Look for this one to hit the shelves in May of 1991. Uh, So obviously it didn't actually come out in May of 1991, or ever, 
at least not officially. <laughs> uh, but because it was teased way back, this means it wasn't completely unheard of. So collectors and preservationists have been wanting this to turn up for a very long time now. A prototype did finally turn up in 2017 at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Actually, in fact, two prototypes turned up. And the Video Game History Foundation struck a deal in order to get digital copies of them made, and here we are today. This was just publicly released on Christmas. You know, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> well, nice present. At the end of the Game History article, you can find an Internet Archive link that includes the ROM and a variety of resources. Yeah, the uh, download also includes a PDF FAQ, uh, commented source disassembly, the soundtrack, and like various promotional images. You know, it's very rare for us to get a glimpse into a game that was actually, you know, teased and lost. Um, I think that's a rare occasion, and that's something for the community to celebrate. It really is, and it's very rare to see, you know, new old video game content turn up, let alone first-party Nintendo stuff. And this is what exa- like exactly what Frank Cifaldi had been working for for a very long time. With his Lost Levels website, which is fantastic, and now the Video Game History Foundation, we're very lucky to have people who take history seriously and don't want these rare oddities to just get lost forever. Um, you know, so just imagine without uh, the effort put in here, we probably would never have seen this. Yeah, so, you know, in addition to getting a playable game, we got a full new uh, old NES soundtrack, whatever you want to call it, uh, by Soyo Oka, which is a great thing to have. It only shares one track in common with the Super Nintendo soundtrack, so this is mostly completely new and unheard material. So, you know, obviously being that this is a podcast about audio, let's talk about the soundtrack. We'll start by listening to the title screen theme. Yeah, so I think, you know, whenever a, lo- a new Lost video game turns up, most people probably want to see or play it. But I think, you know, obviously, uh, since we're so into this, like the, the music of things, we're, you know, those weirdos who first and foremost just want to hear the music. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my first overall impression of the soundtrack is that it's pretty good. Uh, it's not quite at the level of some of my other favorite unreleased soundtracks, like um, Neil Baldwin's Hero Quest or Eric the Viking. Or like Titan Warriors by Harumi Fujita and Capcom, which I would say is probably one of my favorites. It's like a Lost Mega Man game soundtrack, all, all weirdly. It's like it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so, you know, SimCity's not at the top of my list, but um, it's, it's a good soundtrack that does what it needs to do. This whole soundtrack is basically like, I guess, varying degrees of chill, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. It's not full of like driving anthems or like, you know, I mean, just think about it. It's like... You know, it, it's it's SimCity. There's no boss fights. It's kind of a relaxing kind of, you know, 
kind of game where you're supposed to kind of put these things together and the pace isn't supposed to be, you know, punishing. It's not Ninja Gaiden or something, right. you know, and, and obviously, you know, it's not really pushing the boundaries of any of sound either. You know, it, it's kind of, I think it was kind of viewed as having nice and chill, relaxing music, um, you know, and, and I think that that's what it accomplishes. Yeah. But thankfully I was excited to learn that there were some very interesting things going on uh, in the soundtrack still. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So like my biggest worry was, if this was as simple and bare bones as like an early Famicom soundtrack, there wouldn't be that much to say. Uh, but there's like it's at least at a level where there's still interesting things to observe and pick apart, which is very cool. So to start with, you know, just kind of looking into the track we just heard, you have some notes on echo effect. Yeah, so there's something of a two-channel echo effect here. Let's first take a listen to the first pulse wave channel by itself to remove the effect. Here it is again with the second sound channel added back in. So this is your typical two-channel echo. The principle is quite simple. You take the melody that's occurring in the first sound channel, you basically copy and paste it over to the second sound channel, and then you delay it a little bit. You know, if this was Family Tracker, you'd put it down like a couple lines, you know, basically, and you drop it in volume. And there you have it. It's a very classic chiptune way of creating echo, um, or even to create the impression of reverb in your audio. So this example from SimCity is also throwing its own little touch on there. The second sound channel actually starts at the softest volume possible and crescendos a little bit at the end of each note. In addition to that, the second channel instrument doesn't start until the first instrument has fully faded to its softest volume. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so basically each note attacks, fades out, and then fades back in, all in a very short uh, time span. Mentioned in the video, that kind of sounds like a sample is being played in reverse, which is pretty cool. I, I agree, it does. It definitely kind of has that effect. Yeah, it's a neat little touch. And again, the, it's not the most standard way of doing a two-channel echo, kind of like that weird fade back in. So it's, it's kind of neat. Yeah, I I think that like it, it is kind of like an advanced technique, I'd say, because um, mm-hmm. it is creating like its own. It's creating something that's a little. It's not, yeah, it's just not your standard cut and paste into two channels. There's like a little bit of thought, uh, and you can kind of hear as it kind of like the sound kind of waves a little bit as opposed to just kind of like feeling like cascading. Yeah, and I think that it really it, it captures that. So one thing that uh, when we were kind of putting this together, I was thinking about, um, which I don't necessarily know if it's anything that we've ever explored or if anyone knows exactly. Um, you know, so this is an example of uh, two-channel echo. And, you know, I think of a lot of like Nintendo games and I try to think like, you know, Nintendo first-party games, like what was the first like first-party Nintendo game that you actually used two-channel echo? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Um one thing that comes to mind is Craid's theme from Metroid. Mm-hmm. That definitely has a two-channel echo in it. Uh, I don't know if that would be the earliest example or not. Metroid being out in, for Famicom Disk System in 1986, that would probably be the... I can't think of anything that would be earlier than that, but if anyone out there has a general idea of something that might have been earlier than that or an example, hint, hint, Kevin Burke, um, <laughs> we, we'd love to know. It, we were just, it was just something where we were putting the episode together. I'm like, we should know that, right? You know, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, Metroid seems to be, it must have been like, if it's not the first, it's pretty damn close to the first, I'd have to say. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to the next track, which would be the uh, scenario intro slash map generator. Thank you. 
love the high triangle on that. Um, <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, it's super great. I think it would also be a good time to bring up the fact that actually what we're listening to isn't completely exactly what you'll be hearing if you play the ROM. And <laughs> and, and so why is that? Yeah, so there's actually two versions of the NSF available. Chris Covell did a rip where he removed an audio bug that is present in the ROM, and Mr. Norbert did a rip that has the original artifacts included. So each time we do like the casual listen in the podcast here, we're listening to the cleaned up version. Yeah, we're playing the cleaned up version by default, with the understanding that is almost certainly how the game would sound if finished. I mean, we, it's a corrected bug. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we'll talk about the evidence for that a little bit later, but for now, we'll go over the bugs themselves. There's actually two of them, and basically they both just contribute some clicks and uh, unwanted noisy artifacts to the music. Oh, I, I was under the impression there was it was just like the regular one that we kind of talk about always on the podcast, that one error. So there's actually two errors in this. Yeah. Uh, so the first has to do with the echo effects in the pulse wave channels. Let's take a listen to a segment of that music again with the audio glitch present. If you had trouble hearing it, here it is again with the second sound channel isolated and the glitches amplified just a little bit. So to help understand what's going on here, I'm going to quote Hun Retro Geek's sort of summary on this because it's all very technical. He says, In quick succession, it sets the volume to 7 most of the time, then almost immediately writes the register that resets the channel and then enough time passes for the reset waveform to get to the up position of the pulse. Then it's set to zero until the next frame, so there's a little gap until you hear what you need to hear. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, what actually does that mean? <laughs> so basically, another way of putting it is it's just not a clean copy and paste that's being used. We talked about mm-hmm. the yeah. echo effect as a copy and paste, so it's just not a clean implementation of it. Uh it does okay. some things in there. It's like it's flashing and resetting the channel when it's not supposed to. It makes a very brief jump uh, to a louder volume that shouldn't be there as part of that process. Oh, okay. So that kind of reminds me of the vibrato clicking we heard in some Capcom music. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a similar issue with the pulse channel being reset. Though to my understanding, it was more necessary and harder to avoid in those instances of vibrato in Capcom's music. Uh, but like here in SimCity, like it did not have to be this way. Yeah, so HunRetroGeek sent you a bunch more information on it, but it's quite dense and hard to digest if you're not already deeply familiar with the technical side of things. So we'll just post it in the comments on SoundCloud if you'd like to know more, if, if you can understand it and kind of pull it apart. Yeah, and we'll get to the other audio glitch in a moment. So, moving on, let's give Game Start a listen. Thank you. 
As we mentioned earlier, this soundtrack was composed by Soya Oka. Uh, in addition to doing the SNES version of SimCity soundtrack, she's also a composer for Super Mario Kart, which is an excellent soundtrack, actually a very underrated soundtrack. Super Mario All-Stars, so I guess she probably handled some of those. Uh, from my understanding, she handled some of the reworks and et cetera, et cetera, the arrangements for that. Mm-hmm. Wario's Woods versus Excite Bike, Pilot Wings, Ice Hockey, and a few other titles. She also worked under the supervision of Kochi Kondo. Let's take a listen now to the town theme. That might actually be my favorite song in the uh, soundtrack. It's, I don't know. It's kind of it's cool. It's meandering, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So you have this track, Mark, as a good time to bring up the other audio glitch, which you want to mention. So what's exactly happening here? Yeah, so let's take a listen to the track again when it's not cleaned up. See if you can spot anything. Now, if you're listening somewhere noisy, it might have not been apparent, so we'll listen to it again with the culprit isolated. This time, the problem actually comes from the triangle channel. Oh yeah, there's that ugly hissing sound between every note. This issue comes from using a sloppy method to play rests in the triangle channel. So instead of truly shutting the triangle wave off, they're playing it at what's called pitch zero. Now pitch zero, perhaps somewhat unintuitively to a musician, is actually the highest pitch the triangle channel can play. It's around 55 kilohertz. It's well off into the inaudible range. So hypothetically, because you can't hear pitches that high, it should work as a way to play silence or rests on Nintendo's triangle channel. Yeah, well, except that that doesn't work at all. Yeah, obviously. So uh, it makes clicky sounds when notes attack because crossing the boundary from audible to inaudible and vice versa just sort of has that effect. Uh, Additionally, it can produce hissy sounds as well. Yeah, we talked about this in our Capcom episode. This issue is present in essentially every NES Capcom soundtrack up to a certain point, like until they switched up the sound engines, right? Yeah, it was uh, everything before mid-1990. Uh, everything before, I believe it was uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, they all have mm-hmm. this problem. Uh, here's an example from the bass line in the Mega Man 2 intro. Uh, you can hear both the clicky sounds when the notes attack and also the hiss during some rests. Uh, though I did amplify the hiss a bit to make it a bit clearer in this example. <laughs> so, sorry if any of you guys are listening to this with your dogs around i don't know if they yeah. can hear it um i i, I sincerely hope not um <laughs> i just think it's funny that like you know one of the workarounds for triangle and turning the triangle channel off was just literally this 
You know, yeah. like I wonder if there is something in like the tech manual or something that lended itself to thinking that this was the right way to do it, or you know, the, the something. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the Capcom episode, mm-hmm. but I still wonder a little bit about like, was there something that pe- why would people like reach this conclusion as to t- how to turn off this triangle channel, and why would multiple d- people at multiple companies think that this is the way to do it? Um, I think it's kind of interesting. It's strange, and yeah, it, it makes me suspect that there must have been something easier about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like something just kind of lended itself to to be arranged that way, but uh, you know, that's on a deeper, more technical level that uh, I'm sure Hun Retro Geek could probably clarify for us. Yeah, if anyone out there knows like why th- th- this would be preferable, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so granted that that we have this, you know, Capcom just released it that way. But what evidence do we actually think that we have here that these audio glitches would have actually been removed? Like, you know, Capcom left it in there. Mm-hmm. Why would Nintendo remove it? Okay, so uh, this town theme itself, even in the not cleaned up version, has parts later in the song where the gaps between notes play correctly without the hiss. Oh, there you go. Additionally, I looked at other Famicom soundtracks by Soyo Oka, and this issue just isn't present in them. I did find something really funny, though, when looking for examples of these glitches in other Nintendo games. Uh, I was listening to the Wario's Woods NSF when I found this really weird track. Uh, This track actually does have the same issue with the triangle channel. Uh, You can hear the high-pitched hiss at, at some parts. Let's give it a listen. Well, that's definitely something. Yeah, well, um. I, th- I thought that was interesting, but when I looked up the soundtrack, I couldn't find this song anywhere. So I even looked at the cutting room floor to see if it was an unused track, and, you know, there's nothing. So you thought this was unused content, but this is actually a bad rip, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's just junk. Uh, it's not supposed to be included in the NSF. Uh, you won't find it in more recent rips of the NSF. Well, it's pretty cool sounding. I mean, we maybe someone can just like put like go and edit the ROM and add that in. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty cool. You know, it's like kind of in hindsight, it's like it sounds pretty glitchy. So maybe I should have picked up more quickly that it wasn't supposed to be there. But uh, I don't know. I was thinking kind of like the UFO clear music from Dr. Mario. Mm-hmm. Like they have some tracks that are meant to be kind of quirky and a, a little weird sounding. So I didn't think it was too far fetched. Yeah, I mean, like Hip Tanaka stuff will will be that out sometimes, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's like kind of out. Like even what you just played sounded like it was on purpose, like for some reason. But I, you know, you know, <laughs> well, sorry, you got your hopes up that there's some like hidden developer menu or something in Wario's Woods that no one had discovered. <laughs> I I was really hoping that I discovered some lost game content or whatever. <laughs> Oops. Anyways, so it, it's kind of interesting to me that the issue with the triangle channel does show up in whatever the hell that was we just listened to, though. <laughs> So it's like, it makes it seem like, again, you were, we were kind of talking about this just a moment ago, like, is it because the sound engine is constructed in such a way that that 
is something that would happen. Basically, like the final soundtrack of Warriors Woods was composed in a way that they avoided that issue with the Triangle Channel. But the way it was constructed, it, that's like something that could naturally happen if you weren't carefully working around it. Yeah, I mean, even when we do hear it, I think that people have taken some degree of care to hide it. Um, so that makes sense. Um, so I guess we can move on. The next track we have here is City. It's up from a town. Now we're a city. So here's a few words from the composer. This comes from an interview that was conducted by Chris Greening and Dave Harris and was published to Square Enix Music Online. Soya Oka says, At the time, I felt that SimCity was a very different type of game. I wanted to avoid giving the players any stress as they diligently built up a city. I desired to have a consistent musical environment throughout without any feeling of an ending. I also want to reflect the growth from village to megalopolis, megalopolis. <laughs> musically, but not obtrusively. So I began creating a simple motif, melody, and created variations fitting each piece so that the music would develop from simple to the grandiose. Yeah, that explains why the tunes start picking up and becoming a little bit more involved as the size of your city grows. Uh, so let's move on to the next track, Capital. track demonstrates several approaches to echo. There's three different echo effects that are used. Let's take a look at them. First, we have the one that's used in the intro section. It's a two-channel echo similar to the one we looked at earlier, where the second channel does a crescendo. But it's worth pointing out the long gap here. The second channel is 19 frames, or 19 sixtieths of a second, behind the first channel. It's, so it's a pretty exaggerated effect.
but just a few moments later, the song swaps out this effect for a much more subtle one. This time it adds harmony in the second channel, instead of trying to just be an echo effect. So it's a new melodic part, not something that would traditionally be an echo, you know, because that's not normally how uh, harmony works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so harmony requires polyphony or two notes playing together, a keyword being together, that's the point. Two different pitches playing together at the same time to create harmony. Yeah, but it sounds here like they wanted to have it both ways. So they had the second channel only delayed by two frames instead of 19. Ah, so almost attacking at the same time, but a very, very small delay. It's interesting because this is something that you find a lot uh, in FM, uh, specifically, you know, any kind of FM soundtrack, Sega Genesis or Arcade, um, where they'll use like, they'll even double up a pitch on at the same volume across two different channels. Um, and they'll offset it by, you know, just a little bit to, to kind of create an effect. There, there's many, many great examples of this that uh, I can't think of right now. But it's definitely something that they do. Um, <clears throat> but the thing is, they would then, in that situation, in many of the soundtracks I've seen, they would replace the echo channel with the harmony channel, and it would still be offset. So you get kind of the effect of echo at the same time as the harmony. It's kind of like using it's another trick to basically make two channels into three channels. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it works, I think. It, it actually sounds really good, especially in FM. Um, I wasn't familiar with anyone actually doing this or in my studies of NES music, anyone actually using this effect in NES back in the day. I use this effect now in modern chiptune, but I wasn't sure that there was actually examples of this uh, you know, in 1991. And the third type of echo comes up later in the song. This time it's a single channel echo where the notes repeatedly attack and fade with an overall decrescendo on top. It makes that cool kind of, for lack of a better term, jangly sound. Uh, so let's take a listen. And for no real particular reason, I wanted to look closer at that echo and recreate it. Um, so I did, and I applied it to the noise <laughs> channel. So I don't think this really helps illustrate anything in particular, but sometimes it's just kind of fun uh, moving the instruments around like this. So like we were saying earlier, while the soundtrack isn't doing anything crazy, we did just listen to a song that has three different pretty advanced echo effects in it. Yeah, so like we were saying earlier, the soundtrack hits this sort of base level of quality where it, it puts it among soundtracks where you can tell they cared. They wanted it to sound nice, so there's consideration put into its sound design. Yeah, it's not like, you know, for lack of a better term, mass market junk food gaming. You know what I mean? Like there was actually, and Nintendo tends to put a lot of care in their stuff, but obviously, you know, they had top sound drivers for this. They, they were working with the, the A-team, you know what I mean, in mm -hmm. terms of what they could actually bring to this. So you can tell that that care is there, absolutely. Um, so the next track we have here is Metropolis.
In an interview published on RocketBaby.net, Soyolka uh, was asked about her favorite video game compositions. She mentioned Metropolis from SimCity, along with Rainbow Road, which is a crazy and great track, and the theme of Princess from Mario Kart. That's really surprising selection. <laughs> and the select uh, music from Pilot Wings. Yeah, here's a brief demo of those tracks. So earlier we mentioned that the Super Nintendo version of SimCity shared just one track in common with the NES version. With Metropolis being mentioned as one of her favorites, it's no surprise that this is the track that is shared between the games. So let's listen to the Super Nintendo version while Steve shares another relevant quote from the composer. Here's some more from her interview from Square Enix Music. If I remember correctly, I created the music for the Famicom version of SimCity before the Super Famicom version. I think the music for the opening screen had the same atmosphere, but it was a different piece. I remember that the Metropolis piece was very similar. As I recall, I concentrated entirely on bringing out the feeling of the city growing without using any common motifs. In regards to porting, of course there were very few things ported to the Famicom, and since that version was actually created first, I had to switch to the Super Famicom and create similar pieces with more complex arrangements. I enjoyed that work. Also, if I remember correctly, the Super Famicom version had considerably more music than the Famicom version. So, something cool I found. Someone from the Video Game History Foundation Discord named Luigi Blood did a mashup of the NES and Super Nintendo versions of this track. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah, like I wish I thought to try that. So we'll play an excerpt here, but check out the SoundCloud comments for a link to his YouTube upload. Wow, that works surprisingly well. Yeah, I mean, there there was like a tempo adjustment to make it work, but um, mm-hmm. something else that Luigi Blood pointed out to me is if you mute channels 6 through 8 on the Super Nintendo, it's very similar to the NES track. I mean, based on what uh, Soyoka just said, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, they probably co- copied the source over in some way and just added new parts in the remaining channels. Yeah, it looks that way. Like, there are some differences, like the percussion parts aren't identical, they redid that. Uh, but it still looks like that's what happened. Like, I don't think it was completely rearranged from scratch. I kind of think they took what they had from the NES track and just added on to it. So let's move on to Megalopolis, <laughs> the theme for the biggest city in SimCity. I love that word.
So we haven't talked about the sample channel yet, though perhaps we should first mention the way the sound channels are being used. Yeah, so to take a step back, uh, here's a quick recap of the sound channels of the NES. It has five channels of audio. The first two are pulse wave channels. The third is a triangle channel. The fourth is a noise generator. And the fifth is sample playback slash DPCM channels is also known by, which are usually one bit samples, but are more rarely in some cases higher in quality. Yeah, we'll uh, throw a shameless plug in for episode 21 if you want to learn more about samples on the NES. But yeah, there's five channels of audio, but SimCity is only using four. So it is normal for a lot of NES games to only use four sound channels, at least in their music. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. Samples in music don't really start showing up until mid-1987. Even a fair amount of stuff later on, uh, you know, is that way. As Capcom never uses the sample channel, for, for example. So, yeah, not using all of the sound channels is nothing new. The weird part is using the sample channel for percussion instead of noise. Like, if you're only going to use four sound channels, this configuration is a bit unusual. Though this mm-hmm. isn't the only game to do this, uh, one other example that comes to mind is uh, A Boy and His Blob. Oh boy. <laughs> So to clarify, the noise channel isn't completely unused in SimCity, it's just, it's only used in a couple sound effects. Yeah, but that's one aspect that's holding the soundtrack back a little in my opinion. Some simple percussion from the noise channel would help fill out the sound a bit more. And you know, I I guess perhaps the noise channel might have been something that they wanted to add at a later date. When we hear the the version of like, for example, Metropolis, when it's played on Super Nintendo has a different drum section, it's kind of filled out. And I wonder if, you know, if given more opportunity or thought to it, that they would have filled it out as well. It's like you said, it's kind of like a very strange thing to not use the noise channel. Yeah. Um, And and like Nintendo typically does, I mean, for all their things. So you'd have to think that given more time or given more, you know, any resources or something, they would have gone back and added it. Right. Yeah. It's the soundtrack sounds empty uh, without the noise. And I think uh, it's just, like you said, it does show up in other Nintendo soundtracks. So it's a little bit weird for it to not be here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the very first game for Nintendo uses the noise channel. So (laughs) yeah. Correction. Noise was not used in the music for the first dozen Famicom games by Nintendo. It appears to have first shown up in Wild Gunman in early 1984. So let's talk about the samples themselves. Um, They're pretty interesting. Uh, SimCity uses four DPCM samples in total. So the first one we have here is a wood block or snare drum or something like that. It, It sounds like that. A bass drum. A mighty Godzilla roar. And helicopter chatter, reporting on traffic. The percussion samples are what you'd typically expect from NES DPCM. There's nothing remarkable about them. They're both very, very small files. Uh, Though it's perhaps worth noting that the bass sample is identical to the woodblock sample. Or rather, I could say they reused the woodblock sample and played it at a lower pitch. and basically chopped off the last like two-thirds of the note to make it shorter and more staccato. So basically, it's it's the same sample, but in the data, it's two different samples, basically. Yeah, you can see that the 49 bytes that make up the entirety of the bass drum sample are identical to the first 49 out of 129 bytes that make up the woodblock sample. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, just kind of reusing the sample like that, it looks like maybe it was just a placeholder until they found something they were happier with. I, I wonder if, like, internally they did, like, you know, not to speculate too much, but if they had placeholders that they used in these situations, I'd be very curious to see mm-hmm. other prototypes to see if these sounds actually appear somewhere. Yeah. 
Uh, the Godzilla roar and helicopter samples are a bit more interesting, though. These are quite massive for single DPCM samples on the NAS. Like, outside of raw PCM and the weird stuff we talked about in episode 21, uh, you almost never find samples this large. The Godzilla roar is 3,569 bytes, and the speech sample is 4,081 bytes, uh, for a combined total of 7,828 bytes. Jeez, that's like, yeah, that's over 7 kilobytes. On Nintendo, that, that's no joke. <laughs> yeah, and Hun Retro Geek clarified to me that 4,081 bytes happens to be the largest possible size for a single DPCM sample on the NES. So they're maxing that sample out. It could not possibly take up any more room. Interesting. Yeah, so, and I was talking about this with Frank, and he believes they were initially going for feature parody with the computer versions. Godzilla shows up to trash your city, you hear a sound, a traffic jam hits, you you know, you hear a sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it makes more sense when you consider them trying to fit what they can in the process of porting the game. But under more normal or organic circumstances, like if this game was originally designed for the NES, it's incredibly unlikely they would have bothered with these samples at all. I mean, absolutely. The, the, the parody and just trying, like, obviously it is a port, you know, they would probably want to make sure that the quality was at a similar level. So they would pull out all the stops. Yeah. And something I actually wanted to know, but wasn't able to research in time for this episode was, uh, where did those samples come from? Like, I don't know if any listeners could clarify for us if those exact samples were used in a certain computer version of the game. Uh, I tried looking up some kind of long plays on YouTube, didn't really have the time to set aside uh, to sort of like fire up old ver- different versions of the game and emulation and see where those came from. But like, I was wondering, like, does that exact Godzilla Roar come from the Apple version or like the Amiga version or something? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I fired up, I, I fired it up on DOSBox just uh, out of curiosity, just the original SimCity. And I, I couldn't find those in there either. I'm not sure if it was by this point, if the CD version, you know, SimCity Classic was out by this point. I don't think so. So, I, yeah, I mean, it, like, again, it's it, that's an exhaustive look. There's probably someone out there who's just like, oh, it's from this version. But uh, even the cursory look I did, I, it turned up nothing. Yeah. So if uh, if you are that person who does know exactly what it's from, uh, please let us know. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. It, you know, and also, if you know where the MSX dinosaur roar comes from, I'd love to hear that, too. So you researched and point out how sample usage compares to other NES games. Where does SimCity fall? So I don't have a totally comprehensive library to pull from, but compared to over 200 games that did have all of their samples ripped, only 15 games dedicated more space for DPCM. So I'm going to guess that Gimmick's one of those games. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Gimmick is in there. Super C is in there, not surprisingly. Uh, But what is surprising is The Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I guess now that you say that, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's The Legend of Zelda was originally released for the Famicom Disk System, which had all these cool sound effects in it. Uh, when they ported it to the NES, they lost the extra sound channel that the FDS had, and so they just sampled those sounds and brought them in as audio samples. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so there is an example of a Nintendo game, first-party Nintendo game, that did reserve a lot of space for samples. So, you know, maybe it's not too far-fetched uh, that they would have done this for this game, but it's, it still seems strange. Um, So moving on, let's listen to the Dr. Wright track.
So here's a bit more general information about this soundtrack. SimCity for the NES includes 14 tracks of music and 15 sound effects. But for this episode, just like Patrick's YouTube video, we're playing 10 of those 14 tracks. Yeah, there's duplicates of a few tracks where they'll play without a brief introduction section, but there's nothing different or special about those, so it makes sense to skip right over them. Right, so let's take a look at the last track, Dr. Wright Disaster. It's like negative getting a star in Mario, or the invincibility theme. <laughs> Like, right. You know, like the you know, like a minor keyed, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, the sad version. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a short little jingle here, but it's actually a good example of duty cycle modulation. Yeah, I think it first popped up in the Metropolis track, but it's used again here. You'll notice the melody has a sort of warbly sound to it. Uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but Steve, could we get a quick refresher on duty cycles and duty cycle modulation for any potential new listeners? Sure. So what you need to know is that the NES can produce a few different sounding voices, what is colloquially known as their square wave channels. The NES isn't limited just to square wave sound from its first two sound channels. Instead, it could play a square wave or a couple you know, different sounding rectangular waves. And all of these different waveforms are distinguished by their duty cycle, meaning what percentages of their waveform is up or in the on position. Yeah, so for example... If you picture a square wave, which is an easy shape to imagine in your head, uh, it's halfway on, halfway off. So it is known as the 50% duty cycle. The NES is capable of 12.5%, 25%, 50%, and 75%. In a lot of NES music, it's not uncommon to change instruments for an obvious section change. <clears throat> it helps give like you know some variety to the music. But a lot less commonly, instead of changing instruments for a new melody, you can swap instruments out mid-note. This is what we refer to as duty cycle modulation. Uh, a more popular way to do this is to simply attack with one duty cycle, and then have the rest of your note sustain on another. So it'll change just once, helping give notes a sort of plucky sound to them. Uh, like this melody, for example, from Gremlins 2. But what you hear in this track from SimCity and the Metropolis track is the voice where the duty cycle rapidly changes six times, not just once. Here's an excerpt from the first pulse wave channel, isolated, at full speed. Here it is slowed down a bit. Try and listen for all the changes in timbre. And here it is one last time, slowed way the hell down. So I think that wraps up our SimCity discussion. Once again, it was a huge honor to be able to help supplement the Game History article with a soundtrack analysis. Uh, we also hope that you enjoyed this episode as a deeper dive into it. Absolutely. And if the exploration of unreleased and prototype NES music interests you at all, uh, you know, we'll just include another shameless plug for episode 16 of the podcast, which is all about that.
So, MAGFest 2019. Uh, you and I both did a bunch of stuff, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, no, this was a good year. Um, you know, I didn't play main stage. I played main stage last year, but I definitely had, it was kind of nice to not have to play main stage, and I had a lot of fun this year. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I guess we should run through the different things that we did, then we'll switch over to things that we enjoyed and things we saw. Um, yeah. So, on Friday, you played the chip space. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, you know, it was, it was a good show. It's about, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because I, I like playing that Friday block um, because it's like there's really no, I think Triforce Quartet was on at 2 o'clock, I believe. Was it Triforce Quartet? I'm pretty sure. But that was the first thing that was on the main stage. So the chip space was kind of like where everyone could gather, you know, and a lot of people are coming in on Friday. Um, it was cool. I just played some NES stuff, but I also debuted uh, MSX stuff uh, on stage uh, with Trackman's Makoto, which is a new you know it's kind of a prototype but it's a new uh mod or basic cartridge for uh msx computers that lets you use opna um which is the chip that's in um you know uh pc uh 88 pc 98 computers um it's kind of like related to the sega genesis sound trip which we uh, we've covered uh you know uh, throughout the podcast Mm -hmm. um but interestingly i had it kind of like uh, for lack of a better term, retrofitted so that it could play Sega Genesis music. So I use my MSX to play Sega Genesis music for people. I think that's the first time that that's ever been done live. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And then later that night, uh, you gave your MSX panel, uh, which was awesome. It was good. It was surprisingly well attended for having started so late at night. Um, There's a good crowd. Yeah, it, was, it was at midnight for anyone who wasn't there. It was at midnight. <laughs> yeah. And we sort of treated it as like the unofficial uh, retro game audio meetup as well. Um, but yeah, no, it, was, it was, it was, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just I had a good time. You put on a good panel. It was very informative and fun. You, you sort of went over the history of the MSX and then pivoted over to like, what are the sound capabilities and, you know, what did it do out of the box? And then what are people making it do now? And, uh, it's just, I think there's going to be a YouTube video, uh, up of it later at some point, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. It looks like MAGFest posts the performances first and then the, uh, the panels later, um, the panels seem to, if I if I look, it seems to appear like a month after everything. So they'll be up there, I, I was told. Hopefully I didn't say anything too stupid. I did have some small issues with um, just uh, not the sound, oh, well, getting the sound started and just uh, the load times on the MSX are deceptively long. So there's like, you know, definitely silence <laughs> in there, which I was very <laughs> mindful of, um, you know, but using 30 year old computers, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of things I forgot to talk about. And I think we've discussed perhaps, you know, thinking about what the, you know, if there's any information we can distill from that or reapproaching it in some way, uh, you know, through our channels, through the podcast or something like that, not as an episode, but, uh, we, we have been having a small discussion about what to do with it, especially cause I do have the slides from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, you know, where, where they could go or what we could do with that to just kind of uh, do a recap and perhaps correct some of the things that while I was standing up there, I didn't necessarily represent correctly. Not that I made any huge glaring errors, but just anything that I, I either glossed over or forgot to talk about. Cause I, I can think of like 10 things that I forgot easily. Yeah. No, I think that's a good idea. If there's some way we could sort of repackage and uh, re-release th- that, what that panel was in some way at some point down the road, that'd be great. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think there's, uh, I definitely have an interest in that. So we, that, that stay tuned on that. And then, so you had a performance with a certain band, uh, you know, that's, it's not a, you know, not a big deal. Just a, just a regular performance uh, on Saturday, <laughs> you know, not a band that's legendary or well sought after. Just, you know, you, you just showed up and played some drums or something, <laughs> right? So, yeah, I had a blast. It was the uh, Chromalodian reunion show. 
Um, it's a band that I used to play drums for. I had first joined them as a fan, though. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess that was back in, like, 2006 or something. Um, wow. Yeah, going way back. The band's last show was, like, over ten, over 11 years ago, I think, at this point. Um, and, yeah, sort of Criminal Audience whole deal was they did uh, original music that was a sort of psychedelic colorful prog rock sort of thing uh you know with dino of cheap mm-hmm. di- dinosaurs and um Cormelodian also did a set of video game covers as well so they had played some magfests way back in the day and actually the first time i ever met them i remember booking them at a teen center in my hometown just so that my mm-hmm. video game cover band could open for them <laughs> that was sort of like the idea <laughs> was like hey what's like a band that i like that like you know is kind of of a similar scene that it's not too obnoxious for me to like invite myself to play with a band i like kind of thing um <laughs> And so I did that with Chromalodian, and then and they pretty much just said, hey, there's this event called MAGFest, you guys should come play the next one. And because of Chromalodian, we did. And That's that was super cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was like sort of, they were my introduction to the whole MAGFest. Like the reason I started going to MAGFest was because of Chromalodian. And, uh, you know, they've been defunct for a long time. The band sort of went their separate ways, and I didn't think a reunion was going to happen. Um, but thankfully, I'm, you know, it did. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun doing it. We have a couple more shows in Philly coming up. And, uh, yeah, it's just been, I don't know, it's, it's, like, very fun and cathartic in some ways to just kind of beat the hell out of the drums and, like, revisit these songs that were playing a long time ago, but kind of, I don't know, something more satisfying for revisiting at this time. L- less stress and more fun, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was an ambitious project either way, so, and it sounded really good, and it was very well attended. There were a lot of people there, and there were a lot of people crying, so I think you guys uh, yeah, pulled it off. It's, it's super, super crazy. Like, I've had some friends uh, reach out to me saying, like, hey... I was a big fan of Chromalodian, but, like, started to listen to them after you guys had broken up. Uh, so, like, I never thought I'd have a chance to see you guys. And, like, there were people who came to MAGFest because of that. And, like, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. And uh, it's really super cool. And it feels weird for me to, like, talk glowingly about something I'm involved with. But I did join them as a fan. Um, so there is a mm-hmm. bit of that separation with me. Like, sometimes I refer to the band as them. Or but sometimes I say us. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, That's but, funny. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's just being able to play with the guys again, it's just been super cool and a lot of fun. So what else do you see? I mean, I kind of wandered around. I think I played... I was kind of just talking to a lot of people. MAGFest is always great because there's tons of people you don't get to see very often. And I was glad to see a lot of people from the panel were there actually at the RGA panel the year before. So it was really great to talk to them and talk about the things from last year and just kind of catch up. Um, I guess it's, you know, not to get all nostalgic, but as like we're all getting older, it's like, you know, it's harder to find time and schedules. So to have like once a year to like kind of just hang out with people that you haven't seen in a while was kind of what I guess that was my highlight for MAGFest. Oh yeah, uh, you know, just kind of talking to people I hadn't seen in a while, and you know, it's it's good to just take a little bit of time at the end of the year to kind of recenter. You know, it's the beginning of the year, and you can kind of figure out what's going on. And I definitely feel kind of refreshed in terms of like writing and doing music and stuff. I was kind of feeling a little burnt out, so it was good to see people who are a lot smarter than me and are a lot better musicians than me. Um, just to get, you know, it, to remember that you know, like there's there's a lot out there. People are still doing things, especially oh like, yeah, even the Chip Rave and stuff like that. You know, just seeing like uh, Don't Blink or You'll Die or D Boyd and just some people that i haven't seen in a while um it's kind of great um sam oh, yeah. mulligan and the donut slayers was really good um 
trying to think like the, I, I saw like there's it's kind of a whirlwind I, I just saw a lot of things like a lot of shows and a lot of things that i was really into yeah there's so many talented and creative people at magfest that like it's hard to not come out of there feeling a bit more like like you said refreshed and inspired and like yeah. mo- motivated to and and have new ideas that come from like just yeah. talk, talking with other people for a little bit um i was really it, it also helps us do the po- podcast too i mean like yeah you know it it it, uh, it reaffirms that like doing this is something that we want to do and the amount of people that came up to me were just like hey aren't you f-? and it's like yeah well yeah i didn't realize wow great you know thank you you know like um mm-hmm. it, it, it's great i mean you know uh, we, there's a lot of preparation a lot of things that have to go into each one of these episodes so uh, you know, I, I'm glad that the people actually listen to it. It's not, we're not just pushing this out into the void and seeing a lot of you, a lot of you people, even from the discord channel that I've never even met before, just coming up and be like, Hey, and it's like, it's great. You know, like I, I'm glad that you're out there and that really, it, it gives me life for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I was one person I was super stoked to meet was, uh, Paul infinite NES lives. Uh, mm-hmm. this is, this is someone I didn't know beforehand, but I was following them on Twitter already. Uh, I think we just have an, enough mutual friends in the scene that like people enough people liked their posts, and I was like, okay, they, it looks like they're posting cool stuff, so I'll give them a follow. Um, but uh, Batsley Adams pointed me out to his booth. He was set up like near the Baby Castles like indie ar- arcade section, um, mm-hmm. and he's producing these uh, solderless like modless uh, expansion boards for the NES that get sound expansion working on the console without having to do mm-hmm. any modding to your system. And uh, he was selling them for, like, dirt, dirt cheap. You know, I don't want to say exact price because I don't know if he had them, like, marked down for MAGFest or not or anything. You know, I don't want to, like, mm-hmm. advertise the wrong price or anything. But they were incredibly cheap uh, to the point where I had the impression that, like, it's not profit-driven. I feel like the guy had, like, a mission to get expansion audio working on <laughs> NES systems. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's super cool. He had two versions, and I think he's working on a third Um like the more expensive model again it was dirt cheap uh you know cheaper than like a, a meal somewhere um it had wow. a, yeah it had a potentiometer on it so you could like change adjust the volume uh oh, the, nice. the cheaper one just didn't have it so it'd be like a set fixed thing uh they were mm-hmm. also working on i guess i should talk a little bit more about the mod itself so the bottom of the nes has that little like expansion port like that little plastic tab that you can remove and there, there's just nothing underneath underneath mm-hmm. it um if you break the plastic tab that's underneath that removable cap, you could just plug this thing in, and that's all you have to do. You just plug it in, and expansion audio will just start working on and on your NES. You don't have to solder anything. Um, though he's apparently working on like a super slimline version, where you could just unscrew your NES and plug it in without having to break the tab at all. So he's trying to make a version that'll appeal to people like you. Literally, don't have to change anything on your console, break anything out at all. Uh, and you can wow. still get sound expansion working. Um, so apparently that's, that's in the crazy. works. Yeah. So his website, yeah. his website is uh, Infinite NES Lives. If you go to the product section, it's not there yet because I think it's something that's still in the works. But they have a bunch of other homebrew NES stuff up there. Uh, the guy makes all sorts of crazy stuff that's really really cool. So um, I just wanted to sort cool. of promote knowledge of this product because like I was telling a couple friends about it at Magfest and they were like, "Show me where this is." They walked straight down to his booth and they <laughs> they bought a couple. So like. Just from me telling two people in person, like I found two people who wanted to buy it. So I figured listeners of the podcast who, you know, like this stuff, like expansion audio, you know, th- this is like a no brainer. Like this guy's making this thing that's really cool. And whenever it's for sale, you know, we'll mention it again on the podcast. I think everyone should check it out. 
Yeah, that, that yeah, that sounds great. Especially like, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are weary of just doing any kinds of like drilling or breaking or anything of their original console. So to have an option to not have to break anything is, is kind of great. Yeah, I'm definitely comfortable like at minimum just breaking out that tab. Like I don't care if it's exposed. Like I feel more utilitarian about the NES than I do like, you know, collection and preservation. Um, but yeah. under- understandably, other people feel very different about that. And that makes sense. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so of course at MAGFest, one of the big draws is the, the the massive, massive game rooms. Did you have like any arcade games or like games that sort of attracted you? I mean, I was down there a lot. Um, Turbo Outrun was broken, which it always is. Um, uh-huh. They used to, they used to have Outrun there, which I was very excited about. But you know, uh, with, with the that being like an older system, the, the, those wheeled based systems are always broken by the first night. Um, <laughs> I imagine there's little plastic parts in there. I remember looking at the Outrun wheel, like I wanted to buy an Outrun set for my house, uh, and I remember looking at just the components and like they're all proprietary, and if anything breaks, like you have to source it from another Outrun product, and like. There's little tiny gears everywhere that can just break, and they're all made of cheap plastic. Uh, there was no kind of future-proofing on it. So, like, I was disappointed I couldn't play that. I played, I think me and uh, Baron Knoxbury played a lot of NBA Jam for some reason. Oh, awesome. Um, and, I mean, just, like, you know, four-player games, just kind of casually walking through. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, like, I was really just hanging out with people. I didn't necessarily have a lot of time to go downstairs. I was staying off-site, too, which kind of, like... It was okay. It had it pluses and minuses, but it definitely meant that I ended up playing like a lot less games or just hanging out a lot less than I thought I was going to. Ah, uh, yeah. I had a. I think my favorite gaming experience this year. It's, it's funny because it's such like a quaint kind of. You know, there's probably like many, many much better games that were there, but uh, it was Elevator Action Two or Elevator Action mm-hmm. Returns. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing at all. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even actually know what that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don Miller dragged me down to, to show. He's like, you get, dude, you got to see this. He was like, apparently there's an elevator action two that came out like in 1994 for arcades. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like a really cool. It's like, what if elevator action was good type of thing? Like, it's like, way, it's like, <laughs> it's like way more violent. Like you kill enemies. Like sometimes when they catch on fire, they like writhe in agony and like a lot of like the. <laughs> that sounds like your kind of game. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it's so cool. It's like. I always had a weird love-hate relationship with Elevator Action. Like, I, I sunk a lot mm-hmm. of hours into that game back in the day, um, and it's just sort of like, I liked the concept of the game, but it was just such an early NES game that it's so simple, and it's just kind of like a boring, simple arcade experience. Um, mm-hmm. But it just ramped it up. It had, like, the same things where it's like, if you fall too far, you, you know, die or take damage. If you get underneath an elevator, you die if it crushes you. You can crush other people with elevators. You go in and out of those stupid red doors to get data. I think like there's like a mistranslation that says like get a data whenever you walk up to a door. <laughs> and uh which is the all the animations and like artwork in it was like super cool. And it was like not something that I was ever aware of. I think it was ported to the uh Sega Saturn at some point I was reading. Um Oh cool. Yeah, but it's just it's weird. Yeah, it's like it's a game that I think not a lot of people know exist because I'd certainly had never heard of it before, so yeah, I, I I have no clue. But trust Don to come to to have like favorites that are you know very good and kind of obscure and or you know what I mean. Like he he would know <laughs> what book games are good. Yeah, it was on one of those like Japanese arcade cabinets that it's like you know it's like the white cabinets, those very slick ones that are mm-hmm. shorter, kind of. And yeah, like yeah. you sit down to play. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I'm, al- I'm also a big fan of a uh, line wobbler. Have you seen that one? No, I didn't. No. 
Line Wobbler is awesome. That's in the like indie arcade uh, section. I think it's kind of a fixture at Magfest at this point. I think it's been there the last several years. It's advertised as uh, the world's like first one-dimensional video game, where <laughs> okay, it's a string of lights. Like it's not like it's not it doesn't have any graphics. It's literally a string of lights that you play as a joystick like attached to the end of it. And the the interface is like really satisfying. I don't know how to explain it. Like the joystick is kind of like springy and you like you mm-hmm. sort of push into it and like one light will go travel up the string of lights and that's like your character and like mm-hmm. there'll be like red dots coming down the string of lights and those are enemies and you have to like shake the, the joystick you have to wobble it why it's called line wobbler and like when you, <laughs> when you wobble like lights will kind of grow out both ends of, of your light and that's sort of your attack mm-hmm. so you sort of have to like attack these things but then also like different sections of the light will kind of like glow red for a bit like maybe that's lava lava or something and you have to like dodge it and avoid it and not get fried um mm-hmm. and you just your goal it's like you have different levels it's like make it to the end of the string of lights like avoid the pitfalls avoid the enemies it's literally <laughs> just there's no graphics it's just lights um yeah it's super cool i don't know i just thought that like it's one of one of the more creative uh game concepts i've seen in a while and i think it's really awesome yeah so yeah, Magfest was a great time. Uh, we're looking forward to being there in the future again. We'll always post. Just follow us on Twitter or whatever. We'll start talking about the things that are going to be happening at Magfest. Of course, you know before it happens. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, outside of Magfest, though, uh, Steve, you have some kind of big news uh, that just dropped like today. I yeah, guess, I guess. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, and today being the fourteenth. Um, but yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, working with uh, Retroactive Live, uh, you know, the kind of uh, performance we did at Magfest. Uh, I guess so. This all ties, ties into Magfest in 2018. Um, you know, we put a band together, which is Stemage, uh, you know, uh, Dino and Kev from Cheap Dinosaurs and myself, and we played uh, Keiji Yamagishi's music, uh, his original music from Retroactive. Um, you know, and talking a lot with Brave Wave and the success of this. Um, you know, it was kind of, we kind of all thought it was maybe not a shame, but like if that would be one performance, why would, you know, why wouldn't there just be some future performances? Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit, we figured it out. And so we're pleased to announce Super Strikers, which will be kind of like in the vein of, you know, the, you know, Sega Sound Team Band or Alf Lyra or anything like, you know, it's Brave Waves House Band. Um, and so we'll be like working with the composers, which I, I, I don't even know how I'm in this scenario, um, but yeah. um, we'll be working with, with Brave Waves roster of composers uh, to make more music. Uh, we have some really, ex- uh, you know, there's a couple other things coming out. Like we have two tracks that we've already kind of worked on, uh, you know, which are uh, outside of the uh, retroactive live stuff. Um, which are pretty much done, um, you know, and we also have, you know, we're going to be working on an album uh, coming up, you know, just a lot of exciting things on the future. And I think that everyone in the band is really excited to do this. And I mean, you know, as a kid thinking that I would be collabing with any, you know, composers of note, uh, you know, in the, the video game industry was a dream. And so I, like I said, I'm kind of dumbfounded that I'm even here, but um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty exciting and, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of arranging and there's a lot of talks about some different shows and different things that we want to do. So, um, it's real though. I mean, we have, we've actually written things. It's not just a concept, you know, and it was just announced today. So, uh, we're pretty excited, you know, super strikers. Yeah. I, I'm very excited about it. I got to hear a rough mix of some of the stuff you're working on. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, I think, yeah, get, I, I can't, I, yeah. the people like, especially Dino, Kev and Grant, I mean, I guess everyone except for me, um, <laughs> I, the, 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 the level of playing and stuff is, is unbelievable. And 
you know, we all really like this kind of music, so the, we're all really approaching this from a real, almost inspired in, uh, I guess, like, uh, with deference to the music kind of perspective, um, and it really comes out in the music. Yeah. So, like I said, once there's more to share, uh, you know, you'll see what we're talking about because yeah. we definitely put together some pretty crazy stuff. Oh, and it's, again, I'm super stoked for it. For me, from my perspective, it's a really, really interesting uh, lineup. Just for me, I Dino's a former bandmate. You're my podcast mm-hmm. mate, which is funny because we do the we do the podcast together, but we haven't done music stuff together. And I then, don't think we, yeah, we've never done a music thing together. Yeah. And then Stemage of Metroid Metal, like I used to post on the Metroid Metal forum way back in the day. I've been listening to him for a very long time. So to me, it's like mm-hmm. three people that I all knew like independently, just coming together, and of course Kev as well coming together and yeah. working together and making something really, really cool. And it's just like, holy shit. It's, it's like the dream lineup that I didn't even conceive before. So, uh, <laughs> it, it's so interesting too. Cause like, it's, it's not even a lineup I thought that I'd ever be working with, um, ever, you know? Yeah. So it, it's just funny how those things work out. And it's funny that we all like each other enough that, you know, <laughs> you know, we can do this. So, uh, and like, you know, it's funny that it, you know, it, the whole scenario, even getting to just being a band or even just working on KG's music is, a crazy story that's worth telling over a long amount of beers and stuff. It, you yeah. know, there's, there's a huge thing that led up to this and even how, you know, retroactive live became a thing is, is, is a complete accident. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sometimes things just work out and, you know, I feel very fortunate uh, that that all happened. So the other thing too, uh, in addition to super strikers, I just wanted to bring up, uh, you probably heard at the beginning, we didn't really say anything because we wanted to keep that segment like, you know, really to uh, SimCity. Um, so I've rearranged the uh, the theme here. We thought it would be a good idea for Retro Game Audio to have a new version of the theme, you know, because we have a season three here. So that's like the same track, which is Intermission, uh, which is off my album, Listen Core. But that's done uh, in OPM uh, and just OPM. No samples, no nothing. So uh, hopefully you enjoy. I'll put a link here to the full song because I'm going to release this simultaneously on my SoundCloud. Um, so you can hear it too if you want to listen to the full version of the song. Uh, and we even did like a little bit of an edit here to make sure that it kind of fits better with the podcast. I think it's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, Patrick, I think you're the one who said that that would be the perfect track for the podcast um, back in the day. So, uh, you yeah, know, it's good to update it. And we're back. And I think that like having a little bit refreshed point of view on this thing is great. There's also that really good Trackman uh, SCC cover, too, which I wish was posted somewhere. I don't know where I'll have to talk to him about it, like for the MSX episode we did. Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good idea to refresh it and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. So jumping way, way back, uh, we had a name that game in our last episode. This would be before the Halloween episode. Uh, So I think this was like nine months ago, roughly. Yep. We played a bit of this song to see if anyone could guess it. that was guessed correctly by martial art that is echo tides of time for the sega game gear now we have another track picked out for you see if you can name that game And so, Patrick, what is our closing song for this episode? 
So to celebrate the recent release of the NES SimCity soundtrack, you know, having new music from Soyo Oka, we wanted to play something else from one of our other soundtracks. And so here we have a track from Pilot Wings for the Super Nintendo. And you've been listening to Retro Game Audio. <laughs> 